Chapter thirty six of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter thirty six McAlpin at Bay. However, others may have felt that night about Laramie's affairs. One man, McAlpin, was proud of his ride, desperately wounded all the way to town. Laramie had made a confidant of no one but Kate. His experience in being trapped was not so pleasant that he liked to talk about it, and neither McAlpin's shrewd questioning nor Carpy's restrained curiosity was gratified that night. In the circumstances, McAlpin's fancy had full play and, distrustful of his imagination unaided, he repaired early to the Mountain House bar to stimulate it. Thus it gradually transpired along the bar, either from the stimulant or its reaction or from McAlpin's excitement, that a big fight had taken place that morning in the falling wall from which only Laramie had returned alive. It was known that he had come back, and inference as to who the dead man might be could center only on his two active enemies, Tom Stone and Harry Van Horn. The pulky barn boss, who possessed perfectly the art of tantalizing innuendo, thus stirred the barroom pool to the depths. McAlpin chose the rustler's end of the bar, as Abe Hawk's old stand was called, and held the interest of the room against all comers. As the place filled for the evening, his cap, its visor more than ordinarily awry, was a conspicuous object, and it became a favor on his part to accept the courtesies of the bar at any man's hands. I knowed how it had to end, he would repeat when he had rambled again around all aspects of the mysterious encounter. I knowed if they kept after Jim how it had to end, he would aver, planting a hobnailed barn boot on the footrail, while swinging on one elbow from the polished face of the mahogany. I've seen the boy stop a coyote on the go at nine hundred yards. What could you expect? No, no, not again. What? Well, go ahead. Just a dash of bitters in mine, Luke. Thank you. Well, boys, according to my notion, there's two men never would be missed in this country anyway if nobody ever seen them again. And if my count is anywhere near right, nobody ever will see him again. They chased Laramie one foot too far, just one foot, and it looks as if they got what was coming to them. I won't name them. They won't bother no more in this country. He had become so absorbed in his recital that the entrance into the bar room from the barber shop of a booted and spurred man escaped him. The man, advancing deliberately, heard the last of McAlpin's words. He got fairly close to the unsuspecting barn boss unobserved. A few in the listening circle, noting the approach of the new arrival, stepped back a little. For of all men that might be expected after McAlpin's dark intimations to appear, then and there, alive and aggressive, was Tom Stone. Freshly barbered, head forward, keen eyes peering from under staring, sandy brows, thumb stuck in his belt and his face framing a confident leer, Stone, sauntering forward, listened to McAlpin. So intent was McAlpin on impressing his hearers that the foreman elbowed his way before McAlpin saw him 
directly to the front. "'So you won't name him, eh?' grinned Stone, confronting the startled speaker. McAlpin caught his breath. The wiry Scotsman was not a coward, but he knew the merciless cruelty of Stone. Armed, McAlpin would have been no man to affront his deadly skill. He now faced him unarmed. Stone, leaving his right hand hooked by the thumb in his belt, rested his left elbow on the bar. The bartender, Luke, just back of him, leaning forward, mopped the bar more slowly and, listening, moved a little farther down the bar until his fingers rested on an electric button underneath connecting with Tennyson's office in the hotel. "'Name the two men, McAlpin,' said Stone ominously, "'while you're able to talk.' McAlpin exhausted his ingenuity in his efforts to evade his danger, but Stone drew the noose about him tighter and tighter. He played the unlucky man with all the malice of an executioner. He baited him and toyed with him. McAlpin White stood his ground. His fighting blood was all there, and he broke at length into a torrent of abuse of the man that he realized was bent on murdering him. Made eloquent by desperation, McAlpin never rose to greater heights of profane candor. It was as if he was making his last will and testament of hatred and contempt for his murderer, and when he had showered on his enemy every epithet stored in a retentive memory, he struck his empty glass on the bar and shouted, Now, you hellcat, shoot! It might have been thought Stone would check such a public castigation. He did not. Impervious to abuse, because master of the situation, he seemed to enjoy his victim's fury. I'm finishing up with your gang around here, McAlpin, he snarled, never losing his grin. You've run a rustler's barn in Sleepy Cat long enough. I've warned you, and I've warned Kitchen. It didn't do no good. Fill up your glass, McAlpin. Stone, I'd never fill up a glass with you if I was in hell and you could pull me out. Stone's grin deepened. Fill up your glass, McAlpin. Onlookers, knowing what a refusal would mean, held their breaths. But McAlpin, white and stubborn, with another oath, again refused. Fill it, McAlpin, urged a quiet voice behind the bar. Looking quickly, like a hunted animal around, McAlpin saw Harry Tennyson, white-faced and cold, pushing the bottle in friendly fashion toward him. Every man, save one, watching, hoped he would humor at least that much his expectant murderer. But the barn boss had reached a state of fear and anger that inflamed every stubborn drop in his blood. He swore he would not fill his glass. Tennyson spoke grimly. "'Will you drink it if I fill it, you mule?' he demanded, picking up the bottle and pouring into both glasses in front of him. In the dead silence, McAlpin's brain was in a storm. He collected a few of his wildly flying thoughts— Perhaps he remembered the wife and Loretta and the babies. At all events, he stared at the liquor, gulped to see whether he could swallow, and, reaching forward, picked up the glass. Stone lifted his own. The two men, their glasses poised, eyed each other. 
stone barbed a taunt for his victim going to drink air ya he sneered wreathing his eyes in leering wrinkles no said a man unnoticed until then by any except tennyson and luke and speaking as he pushed forward through the crowd to face stone and mcalpin he's not going to drink stone's glass was halfway up to his lips he looked across it and saw himself face to face with jim laramie laramie who unseen had heard enough of the quarrel stood with his coat slung over his right shoulder one arm he carried in a sling but as far as this concerned stone it was the wrong arm daring neither to raise the whiskey to his lips nor to set the glass down lest laramie suspecting he meant to draw should shoot stone stood rooted mcalpin's not going to drink stone repeated laramie what are you going to do about it the mere sight of laramie would have been a vastly unpleasant surprise but to find himself faced by him in fighting trim after what had taken place in the morning was an upset what am i going to do about it echoed stone lifting his eyebrows and grinning anew what are you going to do about it jim he demanded you and me used to bunk together didn't we i bunked with a rattlesnake once i didn't know it responded laramie dryly next morning the rattlesnake didn't know it jim i'll drink you just once for old times i wouldn't drink with you stone no man would drink with you if he wasn't afraid of you and after tonight nobody's going to be afraid of you you're a thief among thieves tom stone a bully a coward a skulker you shoot from cover when barb made you foreman you and van horn stole his cattle and dutch henry sold em for you and divvied with you then for fear barb would get wise you and van horn got up the raid and killed dutch henry so he couldn't talk now you're going to quit this stuff no more thieving no more man-killing no bully-ragging no nothing tennyson will clear this room hold your glass right where it is till the last man gets out when he gets out set down your glass you'll have time enough allowed you after that draw where you stand you're not entitled to a chance godstone i'd rather bunk with a rattlesnake than you i'd rather kill one than kill a thing like you your head ought to be pounded with a rock you're entitled to nothing but you can have your chance get the boys out of here harry not for one instant did he take his eye off stone's eye or raise his tone above a speaking voice and laramie's voice was naturally low to catch his syllables listeners crowded in and craned their necks few men withdrew but everyone courteously and sedulously got out of the perspective line of fire what it cost laramie even to stand on his feet and talk tennyson could most shrewdly estimate from behind the bar he coldly regarded the wounded man he knew that laramie must have escaped carpy and escaped bell to look for the men that had tried that morning to kill him having found stone he meant then and there to fight tennyson likewise realized that he was in no condition to do it and promptly intervened don't look at me jim he said 
but I'm talking. There's no man in Sleepy Cat can clear this room now. Most of this crowd are your friends. They want to see this hellhound cleaned up. But you know what it means to some of them if two guns cut loose. Stone saw the gate open. He welcomed a chance to dodge. Eyeing Laramie, he swallowed his drink, set his glass on the bar. With a voice dried and cracked, he cried, Keep your hands off, Tennyson. I'll give Jim Laramie all the fight he wants, here or anywhere. Tennyson was willing to bridge the crisis with abuse. Shut up, you coyote, he remarked with complete indifference. You'll throw a man down, no matter how much of your whiskey he drinks, won't you, Tennyson? cried Stone. Tennyson, both hands judiciously spread on the bar, seemed to fail to hear. McAlpin, he said contemptuously, walk around behind Laramie and lift Stone's gun. Stone started violently. Look out, Tennyson. I lift my gun when there's men to stand by and see a fair play. A roar of laughter went up. I don't lift it for no frame-up, he shouted, turning angrily toward the unsympathetic crowd. Get out, cried one voice far enough back to be safe. Send for Barb, shouted a second. Page Van Horn, piped a barber as Stone moved toward the door. The baited foreman turned only for a parting shot at Laramie. I'll see you later. If I was your friend, retorted Laramie, unmoved, I'd advise you not to. If you ride my trail, don't expect anything more from me. And I make this town, he hammered home the point with his right forefinger, indicating the floor and the falling wall range, my trail. Stone ought to have tried it tonight, observed Tennyson at the cash register. He was speaking to his bartender long after Stone had disappeared. Laramie had been put to bed again, and the billiard hall had been deserted. He'll never get a chance again at Laramie half shot to pieces. End of chapter 36